everyone. Welcome to Way of Life podcast, where we firmly believe that everyone picks a way in life and what way you pick is extremely important and directly affects how you live. In this podcast, we seek to interview people from all around Australia and beyond on life's most important topics. Whether you're a Christian, a skeptic, or someone with a whole heap of questions, this podcast is for you. My name is Matt, a pastor living in Brisbane, Australia. This is Way of Life podcast. Well, thank you everyone for coming to another Way of Life podcast uh, this evening. Uh, so tonight we have a, a very special guest, uh, Patricia Weirakun, joining us uh, from Sydney over over Skype. I'll introduce her in a second. So uh, tonight we're actually going to be talking about relationships and intimacy and uh, what the Bible and science kind of has to say about that. Um, just to, out, straight out the gate, uh, we do think that uh, topics like transgenderism are very, very important topics, um, but we do believe that they require quite a bit of time, so we're not going to actually focus on that so much tonight, just as a warning. Um, it is important, it is something that we want to do, but it isn't quite what we're going to be chatting about tonight. So for Q&A tonight, it's going to be a little bit different from last time, um, so if you guys want to write this down i write it down now we've got uh it's a website called slido which is s-l-i dot d-o s-l-i dot d-o and then when you go on there what will happen is you'll uh be asked for a a uh some digits to put in there and it's eight nine eight double three eight nine eight double three um so uh, hopefully you got that down. So um, let's get Patricia on the screen, shall we? This is awesome. Um, so welcome, Patricia. How are you? Oh, I'm great down here in very hot and humid Sydney. But yeah, great to be with you. <laughs> it's so good to have you. Uh, thank you for taking of your time um to do this um just wanting to uh get to know you a little bit some of us uh have seen you a few times i know i have seen you quite a number of times and it's been such a pleasure to learn from you and your wisdom um but could you just tell us how did you kind of get into this uh industry uh a little bit about yourself your background i love when you say um, i work in the sexual health and you say how did you get into the in-depth so let me tell you how I got into this industry of sex. So I, I'm, I was born in Sri Lanka, in the tea plantations of Sri Lanka, and I went to medical school in Sri Lanka. So I'm a doctor by training, and then I did my postgraduate study in Hawaii. That's where I actually got into sex, good place to get into sex. I was worshipping in a wonderful Baptist evangelical church and studying sexuality. And I say that's where I brought my twin passions of God and sex together. Went back to Sri Lanka for six years. I was the only sex therapist in the country. And then 32 years, we migrated to Australia. So I have been an academic with the University of Sydney for 25 years, and I retired eight years ago 
That was when I was 65. So yes, I'm 73, going on 74 now. No, the venerable gray hairs. And I was director of a graduate program in sexual health. So that's my journey. And after retirement, I have been speaking and writing on sex and sexual health in speaking in churches and schools. Some are Christian biblical focus. So that's now my life of retirement and my journey in the sex industry. <laughs> it's the good side of the sex industry. Um, so I just wanted to introduce the topic for tonight before I start asking you some questions, Patricia. Um, I've heard you say in, in some of your previous talks that I've been to uh, that there's kind of these, uh, this um, common misconception about Christians being uh, a killjoy or Christianity being a killjoy where it's just kind of a bunch of rules and, and, and uh, things that just to kind of keep us oppressed and in line and kind of maintain the masses. And then I've, I've also heard you say that we live in a, a post-truth culture, which I'll ask you a little bit about in a, in a sec, but um, we're... And, it, what I'd come to understand from what you've said in my own research is that means that we kind of live in a, in, a, in a time where we can pick whatever we think is true um, and we can believe whatever we want and kind of the driving force behind what we believe is often our desires, uh, what we would desire and what actually can fulfill those desires. Um, and it seems like uh, within that framework of thinking, with uh, a post-truth where you can kind of make it up for yourself, it could actually get really, really confusing when it comes to uh, topics of intimacy and, and relationships and, and sexuality and so forth because all these kind of norms that whether they were good or bad, however you want to see it, um, they, they're kind of gone or we, we kind of have to make it up for ourselves and what we see in our, our young people is that uh, particularly is it's, it's confusing. Um, we don't really know if there is a reason for relationships. There isn't really a stock standard uh, thing for, for how to navigate this kind of stuff. And, and um, it's almost cheapened in, in many ways. So, which is why I wanted to kind of get you on, on the podcast because you, you know a lot about this. And uh, just to kind of uh, help us in, in our way, um, to help us uh, grasp this topic and to start really thinking about it because it's really important. Um, but particularly from a, a biblical and, and scientific kind of perspective as well. So um, I figured then, I, I don't want to assume that everyone knows, has this like uh, Christian background and an upbringing which knows a little, a little bit or a lot about this kind of topic. So I wanted to kind of work foundationally up a little bit um, and just ask you some uh, pretty simple questions if that's okay and just let you kind of elaborate and you, you do your thing. Um, but my first question is like, what, what is the purpose of a relationship when it comes to uh, what do we see in the Bible uh, and scientifically, what's the purpose of a relationship? That's an excellent question, Matt, but let me just tease that out. Yeah, sure. Firstly, the first thing we need to think about is what do we even mean by relationship? So let me just think relationship means we have in some way a connection with another. Now, as Christians, we would say we have a relationship with our creator, with God, and that too is a relationship. 
But for now, for our discussion, we're talking about relationships between people. And that thing narrows down to the difference between intimacy and sexual intimacy. So we have created, as Christians, we believe that we are created in the image of the Trinity. Now, for those of you who may be thinking, Trinity, what's that? We believe that we, we are with God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus right at the beginning. In Genesis, when God said, let us make man in our image, it was us. So there was like that beautiful three-in-one, and that was a perfect relationship. So every human being is made, is created to want relationship and intimacy. So yeah. that's the foundation. Now, from there on, we drill down to that what we are talking about today, which is sexual intimacy, sexual relationship. And that's where if we look at it and we think we are created for relationships, and we make friendships are so important. The worst punishment for someone is solitary confinement. Mm. So we are created for that. But when we look at sexual intimacy, that beauty of one man, one woman coming together and forming that bond, we, in the Bible, we are told that's for marriage. And we think, why? Why does it even, why does it have to be that way? Mm. In a world, now you mentioned this, you mentioned that, you know, we live in a post-truth culture. Today, we talk of the world, the world as one where especially you young people listening are living in what we call a world of expressive individualism. Let me just tease that out for a minute. I mean, there are tomes and books written about it. But let me just tease that to a little bit of quickie for you. And that is that your word tells you that to, to truly be happy, you need to look into yourself, find out what your desires, as Matthew said, your desires, your feelings are, and then live that out. And that's the only way of being happy. So when it comes to relationships, and especially sexual relationships, you look into yourself and you think, what is it that I desire? What's going to make me happy? That's my, the word we use is authentic self. Now, to look into yourself, it's what, what, what puts those feelings into you? You young people are living in a world of social media interaction and all those influencers of social media, the influencers out there you're following who are feeding your inner self. So you're looking into that to find your feelings and then think this is what brings me happiness. The Bible tells us from the beginning to the end when they are created, you're created as for something far better and that true freedom comes in finding that one man one woman true relationship and we can tease that out through the bible how god says true freedom is found sexually when you are in a relationship where you can be truly knowing that other person that ultimate intimacy 
which gives you ultimate freedom to be who you are. You'll never find it looking into yourself. You will only find it in looking to something better and someone better with a better plan. And I put it to you that that plan you can find in the Word of God. Yeah, would you mind actually teasing that out a little bit from the biblical perspective? I'd love to. That's my favorite job. You see, as you said, Matt, we today think that God is an ultimate killjoy, that all the Bible says is just don't do it. But let's just look at the Word of God for a moment. Come with me to the Garden of Eden. God says, let us make man in our image, and he makes Adam. Now, all you young ones listening in, think of the most perfect man you can imagine. You know, best shredded abs or, you know, six-pack or whatever. That was Adam. And there he was, and then God puts him to sleep, and he does a little rib job, and with that prime rib, he makes the most beautiful woman. I mean, think, no boob job, no Botox, that kind of beauty. And he brings this woman to Adam. And Adam, who's been asleep, wakes up. And that's love at first sight. The first arranged marriage in the Garden of Eden. And she's immediately, what does he say? She feels desire for this woman God has brought to him. There you are, the birth of desire in the Garden of Eden. And Adam says, oh, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, the most beautiful girl I've seen. It helped he'd never seen another one, but that moment <laughs> in the Bible, desire is born. And through the Bible, we have this beautiful teasing out of marriage, one man, one woman, God's love for his people. We have the last book in the Bible, for those of you who don't know, the book called Revelation, where Jesus comes back to claim his bride. See, that's a marriage. And one man, one woman, sex and eroticism is so important to the mind of God that there's actually eight chapters of erotic lovemaking between man and woman in the center of the Bible, right in the center of the Bible. Song of Songs. And in fact, in Song of Songs, the woman says to the man, she says, love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame many waters cannot quench it. You see, desire and love is a mighty flame. Now, if I might just switch from the Bible to my background of science, the, the brain science behind desire, driven by the hormone testosterone in men and women, men have about five times more, which all you girls will think, that explains what, what happens. But anyway, that's an aside. You can put that in your Q&A if you want. And the reality is, it is a powerful feeling. We feel desire. But remember, it's a feeling. That feeling. And falling in love. You know, you look at that person who gives you those palpitations and sweating in the middle of winter and all that. And that moment you fall in love 
another chemical, dopamine, gets sprayed on your brain. And you basically become dopey for that person. You see, love is a powerful motivation, a feeling. So in a culture that says, live by your feelings, it's so easy to think, oh, I feel I want this person. I feel I want sex. But the Bible says there's more to it than feelings. True love is like Christ loved the church. A true love is longing for the best for the other. Not my happiness, but your happiness. And when two people want the happiness of the other, then each will be truly free to have the best sex and the best intimacy for themselves. Yeah, no, that's really good. Thank you, Patricia. Um, so I'm thinking in terms of what uh, going on the culture, cultural kind of norm of following every single desire and that's that's what I want to fulfill and that's that's going to make me whole, that kind of uh, uh, truth that we're, we're fed quite a lot. Um, what, are, what are some of kind of the major effects that can kind of happen from that? Like why is that such a bad thing is my question. Well, you know, I, I would I would sort of reframe that and say that see, sex is a beautiful thing. So we should be careful not to ever think that sex is something dirty or bad. Yeah. Because that, that in itself is a problem because then you get married and you're still thinking it's dirty and bad. Mm. So the first thing we need to understand in the Bible is that God created sex in the garden. God maintains it and blesses it. I mean, and in Ephesians 5, it says it's like Christ and it's church. That's what marriage and love and sex. Sex is like the icing on the cake of marriage. And so it's, it's a beautiful thing. Now, what then, why are we saying we've got to keep it for that one man, one woman relationship? Yeah. You know, in Genesis, when Adam and Eve were brought together, we hear that they were both naked and felt no shame. That's an interesting phrase. Nakedness means total vulnerability. Now, obviously, we are on Skype and we are on, you know, connection here. But if we were face to face, I might have challenged someone in the audience to jump up on the stage and get naked. Now, if you were naked, any you are totally any volunteers, right? And, um, you know, oh yeah, you got some with you. Maybe you'll have someone who might volunteer, but maybe not. And so when you are naked, you are totally vulnerable. Everyone can see every little wrinkle and dimple. And that may be fine when you are young, like you young ones who are watching. But you just wait till you get to 74 and gravity takes its toll and things sort of start <laughs> migrating down to the South Pole. Not very pretty. But even then, when you are naked, you are vulnerable. Yeah. So what then does no shame mean? The no shame means that when you are vulnerable, to truly be intimate with someone and open your mind, your soul, and give your whole body to another, you are in a place where you are totally trusting 
the other. So you feel no shame. Hmm. And that trusting will only truly come when that person has made promises to care for you till death part you. Not till, you know, I get bored with you and move on or till tomorrow morning or maybe till the alcohol in my you know, wears off my brain, but till death part us, I will care and love even when you are gravity challenged and wrinkled. I will love you as I do now and I will care for you. That promise is made in marriage. Mm. That is why the best. And to add to that, just to give you the science now, we know that sexual intimacy is a binding act. Different chemicals, oxytocin, vasopressin. It's like forming a super glue bond. So you have sex with someone. You are binding at a brain level with oxytocin and at a soul level. And we talk to young people who just say that, you know, when you, there's nothing called casual sex. Sex is never casual. You bind. We are not created for casual superglue bonds. You glue and tear apart. It's as if you leave a bit of yourself and take a bit of that person with you. And those leave scars in your mind. This is why we say that this sex we would say the only real sex is in that naked, no shame, total vulnerability, total trust of one man, one woman in the promise-keeping covenant, we call it Christians, covenantal relationship of marriage. Yeah, yeah, no, that's really good. So you're kind of saying that almost a, a casual sexual relationship with someone or... Um, kind of hookup culture type thing is kind of cheapening uh, what it's actually really, really made for, which is uh, part of being an actual, like, a dedicated relationship and with another person in marriage. Yeah, would that be semi what you're saying? Um, so my kind of, I guess my devil, devil's advocate, and that's a question I get a lot from, from people that uh, don't have kind of the Christian background or don't have a huge background in what marriage used to be or what the biblical model is. Why could not someone do that like just by living together and being committed? Why, does, why do they have to be married to do that? And what's the significance of marriage? The difference with, well, there's, there's a number of different ways we can look at it. I'll first start by just research. I talk to you about the sociological research. All the research tells us that living together, the so-called try before you buy, the de facto, isn't as successful as the promise-keeping relationship of marriage. Mm. Firstly, because what they call the unequal commitment. Yeah. Two people go into a living together de facto, you never really are sure whether your partner is committed to you. Mm. The same as you are. Yeah. You're not. That's just the research. They've done lots of work around this. And you might say, oh, no, 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 we are both totally committed. But there's always, invariably, it is the girl who is more committed than the boy. 
Secondly, and if then they uh, stay together and then go into marriage, and sometimes people live together and then move into marriage when they have children or want to have children or they buy a house or whatever. And then what happens is that you they call that sliders. You slide into marriage. And the results of sliders or people who slide into marriage are that the marriages are less stable and are more likely to slide out. Whereas the opposite, they call deciders. People yeah. who say, okay, we're going to make a commitment. We're going to make it a public commitment for God and his people. And that I'm speaking as Christian, but you may not be a Christian. But you make that commitment of actually saying, let's get married. And you sign the paper. You make promises. And your relationship is now built on a foundation of shared commitment and promises. And that's the foundation. Because you know that if you're going to dissolve that, it's going to take time and energy to break it rather than you don't slide out of it. And so therefore, even if you're not speaking from a Christian point of view, secular research tells us, and there's another added bit of secular research on that, that even children fare far better in a committed marriage where promises have been made in a mother-father-who-are-married relationship than in the de facto living together, which is not a stable relationship. That's research. But looking at it from a biblical point of view, you see, it's not about our marriages. Marriage between a Christian man and woman it's a little microcosm model of Christ's relationship to the church. And Christ loved the church so much to die for her. That's the love of Christ to the church. So every Christian marriage shows the world that relationship. And sex in that marriage is like the covenant, the promise, the little icing on the cake. Mm. And that's what makes it so special. Yeah, no, that's really, really helpful. So kind of, uh, I guess the slide in or slide out type feeling, it's more a little bit more about you and it, it is centered a little bit more, uh, not to say that relationships can't be complicated in any sense. There's, there's certain uh, aspects and so forth where it gets complicated, but um, this kind of idea of love is, is very centered on how it makes you feel, uh, how you can serve me, whereas kind of what you is what you're saying is within kind of the I guess the covenant relationship that the Bible would show is that um, it's actually more than just a feeling, um, but something of some sort of a commitment. It's just like actually, even if it does get hard, um, if it's easy or hard, I'm gonna be committed to you. Um, did you have anything to kind of expand upon that, like in terms yeah, well, of, of love and things like that? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, it, it, again, we get back to that post-truth expressive individualism. One yeah. that says, you know what? I'm in here for what I feel, what I can get out of it. Actually, that is selfish self-gratification. Yeah. No marriage will succeed if the two want to look it out, get things out of marriage. Of course you want to get 
happiness. But it is by loving the other that you can actually get the best for yourself. Now, for those of you Christians listening in, 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love chapter that is read at wedding. It's all about other-focused honoring. Mm. And if you can look, if you're dating, you younger one, if you're dating, you know, even if you're sending a text message to somebody, you know, why would you think that, you know, sending someone a picture of your genitals or something is going to make them so excited? You know, why would you think that? Are you honoring the other person? Think that. The best relationship and the intimacy is based on honoring the other. So whether you're texting someone or you're dating them or you're married, it's about other-focused caring mm. that will bring you true freedom and true happiness. Expressive individualism of looking into yourself to find out what you want will never truly bring you the freedom of intimacy with someone and that true happiness. Yeah. No, that's really good. I kind of similar topic then. What would be, um, I guess, in the biblical and even from a scientific perspective, or both really, I guess they're interrelated, but what is the actual purpose of sex within marriage then? Is it purely just for a good feeling? I love it. <laughs> love it. Love it. You know, we can go back to the whole the Bible story. I mean, look at, in Genesis, God told man and woman, I want you to get out there and I want you to multiply and fill the earth. He wasn't saying go do mathematics. He was saying get out there and have good sex and fill the earth with babies. Now, don't you love a God? Even, I mean, for those of you who are Christians especially, you know, you know God created you. He could have made and having babies, the most boring thing ever. You know, like fill a form in triplicate and send it to the baby department and you will have a baby delivered by, I don't know, in the pouch of the next kangaroo down the road. And But that's not the way God does it. What God says is, I'm going to give you a command to fill the earth and you know what? I'm going to make it the best fun you ever had in your life. Your genitals were created by God. Think about that for a moment. Your genitals were made full of nerve endings. Your whole body is made full of nerve endings. Your brain patterns are made to feel good. Orgasms feel good. God made orgasms. So sex is made to feel good. So God created it. I mean, you know, God created the clitoris in women. It's one organ that basically hangs around doing nothing other than having fun. And God could have just erased it from the design. But God is a good God who created sex to be fun while we keep his command. So every sexual activity is potentially one that leads to procreation. Of course, not so. We are meant to have fun. We are meant to have babies. 
But as we discussed before, sex in, whether marriage or not in marriage, sex is also that binding act. So it's procreation, recreation, and oxytocin, vasopressin, brain-driven binding. So this is why in marriage, as one man, one woman, have lots and lots and lots of sex, they just bind to each other. And they form a brain and a soul, one flesh. That's what the Bible calls it, of one flesh. That husband and wife really don't even feel different. Sometimes they even begin looking same yeah. in old age. <laughs> and yeah. by the way, you should all be putting your questions in now. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you put your questions in. Um, so I guess then, uh, just kind of going off track a little bit, but on topic still, but um, in terms of things uh, in a culture that's very, very focused on what is good about uh, for you and your desires and, and uh, fulfilling those desires and getting a quick fix, how does something like uh, the dawn of pornography really and um, your thought life how how what happens kind of from a scientific point of view and and what would what would the bible kind of have to say about that yeah well <clears throat> very briefly i just started the bible but i really want to concentrate a, a little bit on the science the bible says you know uses the word pornea for sexual immorality and that that gives you a kind of a root word that pornea, sexual immorality, that, that's where pornography comes from. Now, very briefly here, when we think pornography, we may be thinking, look, oh, it's only this dirty old man sitting with his computer terminal in the darkened room. Wrong. Porn is everywhere. It's on your phone, yes, of course, the YouTube. It's even in comic books and on television and even on billboards. Anything that is sexually explicit and created to titillate and sexually stimulate is pornography. So firstly, to recognize that that's what it is. And what does it do? Now, we already talked about the good chemicals, the good patterns in your brain. Desire driven by testosterone. That love patterns. I, I mentioned dopamine, but there's more. There's a chemical called serotonin. When you fall in love, those levels go down. They're the feel-good chemicals. Or when you are with your beloved, your endorphins, like mm. opioids go up, you feel good. Do you know what pornography is a super stimulation of these love circuits? So the love circuits in your brain are super stimulated by pornography. And so what happens? The good pathways are taken over. They override everything when you watch porn. But the word we use is sensitization. Your brain, those dopamine circuits get flooded and after a while you want more and more and more. That is called desensitization. So you then begin all sex drives you to this pornea, to pornography. And you want more, you want the more deviant porn. And this is a scary bit. 
now an good ordinary man woman relationship that becomes boring because all you want is that super fun why would you bother we talked about relationships and dating it takes time to get to know another person it takes time to establish a romantic relationship ah but pornography all you need is just one click and you got everything and a choice and you quick orgasm assured so then your brain and this is science the part of your brain that that is involved in self control and we haven't discussed self control but the bible really tells us that you feel desire feeling you feel you feel you want to watch porn but you have self control we are not just a ball of hormones rolling along we are created human beings with brain self control you know even in song of songs the famous eight chapters of erotica three times the woman says don't arouse or awaken desire love till the right time so when you watch porn you are arousing it without true satisfaction and the part of your brain involved in self control what we call the frontal lobe actually shrinks we can measure it and then you feel out of control and you're in addiction territory mm. so pornography is the same as having casual sex on steroids it's a super stimulation yeah. of your sex circuit and it is so addictive you know matt today the average age of first porn exposure is 11 years and dropping in yeah. australia We've got eight and nine-year-olds who are watching pornography. This is why we talk to parents and say, you've got to teach your children early the yeah. beauty of sex, but also the fact that sex is so precious and your body is precious. You don't give it away like something you buy at the reject shop and just play and throw away when you're tired. It's something that is so precious. that you protect it mm. and keep it to enjoy in that true naked no shame relationship don't throw it away it's far too precious mm. and i put it to you as someone married 47 years far too enjoyable in the true relationship of true intimacy mm now oh, that's really good thank you for that um kind of following up on that what would you kind of i'm sure we're going to get some questions about this anyway but it seems like the kind of questions or the thoughts that i get from people that uh, don't have a christian background or might not believe this stuff is that this is a really steep hill to climb like this is the, the expectations on on relationships and sex and um on pornography and and so forth the fort life uh, is quite steep would you have any kind of uh, would you be able to speak into that a little bit and maybe give us some advice on, on that for anyone that might be listening yeah i'll tell you a couple of things this is this is our culture the culture of expressive individualism then goes out to say i must have my desires fulfilled because that is what makes me happy 
So when my desires say I need sex, sex becomes my very identity. And to be happy, I must have my have sex. If I'm not having my sexual feelings fulfilled, I am not even a human being because my very identity is tied up with sexual satisfaction. Now, when we believe that lie that we need sex to be content, we don't need sex to be content. Sex is good. Sex is nice. But sex is not a necessity. Sex will never bring you fulfillment and happiness and contentment that lasts a lifetime. Oh, we could bring you a temporary orgasm, but let's face it, I don't know about all of you, but I've been a sex therapist for a long, long time, probably longer than all of you listening. Any of you have been around on this planet, and I have never met anyone who says, I have had such a long orgasm that it has given me contentment for the rest of my life. Orgasms are fleeting pleasure. See, we are not created for that sleeping pleasures don't give contentment. True contentment, whether you're a Christian or not, lies in serving someone else in that intimacy of caring for someone, not necessarily in the sexual intimacy of the orgasm. See, look around. Talk to single men and women who are living wonderful celibate lives and serving God. And for those of you who are Christians, Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 says, I'm single, I wish all of you were single. You can really lead a good life. My son, some of you may know, my son is a Presbyterian minister. Kamal is 45 years old, single. And he says, you know, he can serve the Lord so much more because he doesn't have to worry about finding quote-unquote sexual satisfaction. Mm. So that is part of this expressive individualism lie that sex brings contentment. You know, just in closing this uh, section, I've been a sexologist, as I said, for a very long time. I am a doctor for even longer. I've seen people die of lack of water, healthcare, medicine, but there is not one empirically reported case of death by lack of sex. No one ever dies. People die by having sex and catching something, but nobody ever died. You can live a full and wonderful life, never having had sex, never having had those testosterone-driven feelings fulfilled. It is possible. But you've got to find other things rather than sit and mourn the fact that you're missing sex. You've got to find other fun things to fill your life. And when you're not worrying about sex, you have the time to look around and find other fun things to do. Yeah. So it's kind of like an idolization or this fixation on on one thing rather than on the many, many aspects of life. And kind of what the the Christian worldview or we'd see in the Bible is that where we kind of get this drive to uh, be able to be sacrificial and just love the other rather than it being about ourselves is actually the love of Christ that we already have. So 
Would you say that's kind of the difference between um, someone who might not know Christ and someone that does is that they kind of have somewhere to, uh, like kind of a, a base station to, to get some sort of energy or to get this kind of drive or um, I don't know quite what I'm trying to say the word but we're, we're going to the source that's it we've got a source enable to love the other person rather than just trying to do it by ourselves is that correct correct and uh, uh, let me just tease that out yes as christians we know that we are created in the image of god and therefore we are really our body is created by god our body is good one corinthians 6 your body is the home of the Holy Spirit. When uh, your body belongs to Jesus, it's actually part of Jesus. Honor God with your body. So when you love a person, you are saying, this is God's gift to me, which I now gift you. And that, that is what enables us. And of course, as a church, as Christians, we have the strength of being able to go to our brothers and sisters to support you. Now you met as a youth pastor, you are there for your young people and your young people support each other. And there is that strength of family supporting each other. But that being said, if you're listening to this and you're not a Christian and you've been having sex and you know, and you're feeling a little like, yeah, it's fun. Why shouldn't I just keep doing this? Let me put it to you. That, you know, you're young, you're doing it, but let's look look into your future. Think, is this where I want to be? 10, 20, 30, 40, when you're 74 like me. Is this what you want to be? Is this casual sex really going to give you that contentment? Does it feel truly feel that need for intimacy in your heart. And if you're feeling that, suggest you have a chat with someone or email Matt and he'll talk to you. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Patricia. We're going to we're gonna have like a five-minute break in, in a sec just before we go into yeah. the Q&A just to stretch our legs. Um, but for those of you who are listening in... Um, uh, you can you can actually uh, go on to Patricia's website um, if you want to know a little bit more about her and what stuff that she's done, patriciawirakun.com. She has a bunch of stuff on YouTube as well, and she can come out to your, your church or, or your function uh, as well. But thank you so much for the main talk, um, Patricia, and we'll be back with you in five. Thank you. Thank you.